You know, the first challenge is always what to preach on, right? Because Rick's going through Matthew, and I don't want to interrupt his flow. That wouldn't be right to jump into Matthew. So I prayed, and the thought just kept coming back to my, to my mind over and over again. And it was love. Maybe it's because Valentine's Day is coming up, right? Maybe it's because I just went through a wedding with Otto and Olivia, but love just kept popping up as something to talk about today. <clears throat> so that's what we're going to investigate, is look at some little different angles of love. Primarily look at it as from God's viewpoint, <clears throat> how he views his relationship with us. Because cause basically that's what the whole Bible is all about, right? From the very first page to the very last page. It's a book about love, God's love for you and for me and for all of humanity, right? Nothing else. And therefore, when the kids in Sunday school memorized not too long ago that, that we should therefore love the Lord back with all of our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, right? That's what we need to do because he loves us so much. And it was the first passage I found to kind of represent this is, is, is in Jeremiah because this love relationship to me sounds like a marriage. When two people are in love with each other, it kind of to me sounds like a marriage. And in Jeremiah, actually over 30 times in the Bible, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Hosea, in the Gospels, in some writings of Paul, and in Revelation, God compares this love relationship he has with us to that of marriage, to that of being betrothed to us. And when I found this one in Jeremiah, it really piqued my attention, so I'd love to share, with, with, uh, share it with you this morning. In Jeremiah chapter 2, if you want to turn to your own Bibles, or of course you can follow along on the screen. We read, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals. You are following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Love this picture in Jeremiah because sometimes wrongfully we separate God. We divide God, right? We say Old Testament God, Jeremiah. Well, that Old Testament God was full of anger, judgment, and wrath. New Testament through Jesus Christ. Oh, that God's love and grace and mercy. No. Same God beginning to the end. And we see tons and tons of examples of love and grace and mercy in the Old Testament. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, has this wonderful verse where he says, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals. And that's what made me think of love, of Otto and Kylene's recent wedding, of Valentine's Day, to be young and in love. Remember that. Do you remember that? Do you remember that many years ago when you first were married to your spouse, the feelings you had for her? Love, devotion, the love of your youth. God is saying we were young. You were young and we were in love. I loved you and you loved me. We were devoted to each other. The love of your betrothals. Now remember, betrothals, when it says the love of your betrothals, that's in the Jewish culture, 
the betrothal process where a man and a woman come together and there's a big ceremony, the betrothal ceremony. It's basically after that they are married. They're just not living together yet. But after that ceremony, they are, they are, they are legally married. And it was at that time that they complete it and they share a cup of wine together to complete the covenant, the betrothal covenant. Right? And the man pledges that if need be, I will give my life for this woman, for my bride. And the bride pledges that if need be, I will be faithful and I will always honor my husband. And that is what God is saying here. We were betrothed, you and me. Look at the end of the verse, verse 3. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon him. God is saying, I will protect you. I will guard you. If anybody goes against you and against me, the holy God of Israel, they will be destroyed. Evil will come upon them. He protected. He loved his betrothal. It's all about love. The whole book, the whole Bible, it's all about love. Then we get to verse 5. Thus says the Lord, what injustice did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me, that they went far from me and walked after emptiness. In this relationship, this marriage, this betrothal between God and people after his own heart, he says, you strayed. They strayed. They left. They stepped outside of that relationship and strayed. And we know from history, time and time again, God's people did exactly that. They wandered got distracted and went after gods of other cultures. And while they're straying, God is saying, what injustice did your fathers find in me? What iniquity? What did I do? What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me? So reflect back. Let's all put this in context for just a moment, okay? About his relationship with Israel, this betrothal, and now us as the bride of Christ, this relationship, relationship that God has with us. He says, we were in love. I loved you. You loved me back. You strayed. God, what did I do? What did I do? Did I do something? What injustice did your fathers find in me that they strayed and walked after emptiness? What what relevance it has to our lives today. I mean, we're all we're baptized into Christ. We become part of the body, right? We're, we're young. We're in love. We're excited. We go to church every Sunday. We go to Sunday school. We go deeper. We go to Bible studies. We love digging into the Word, right? We serve all in the name of the Lord. All of our thoughts and all of our actions, everything we do is filtered through how does God want me to behave in this situation and what happens? What happens? Sometimes we walk away. We stray like they did. We leave God and God's sitting there going, what did I do? What happened? I thought things were going great between us. I thought it was going fantastic. What fault did you find in me? Wow. Pretty powerful. Then we go down to verse 11, still in Jeremiah. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They have left me. They have abandoned me. 
the fountains of living waters to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. When we fall away and we give into these temptations, Prophet Jeremiah is comparing, like we're trading, we're abandoning God, this continual spring of living water. We're in this betrothal relationship with him, and we step outside, we're leaving it. It's continual life-giving spring of love and provision for what? For what? Jeremiah is saying a cistern. Now, what is a cistern? Well, we saw a lot of those in Israel. A cistern, we'd go into a town. A cistern is basically a big hole in the ground. We would go in there, an enormous hole, and it was used to collect rainwater. It was waterproof. It was used to collect rainwater, or they would go to their water source, and they would fill up this big cistern with water for when there was a drought, for when their city was laid siege, and they cut off the water supplies, and, of course, people, animals, we need water to survive. So they had, it was a way to store water, big hole in the ground, let's say, huge. They could store enough water for months. And God is saying, you're trading, well, actually, when I looked at those, I mean, and, and in your minds, I picture that. Picture, I pictured them half full, maybe three-fourths full of water, and I pictured how still and stale and stagnant and yucky that water must have been. Sitting there for months. You don't have to go drink it. God is saying, you're trading me a spring, a fountain of continual living water for yucky, stale, bacteria-ridden water from a cistern that's actually doesn't even, that can't even actually hold water. Wow. That's amazing. And look what's going on in the heavens when this is happening. Be appalled, O heavens, at this and shudder. Be appalled. Ah! Be astonished. What? It's like when we're stepping outside of our relationship and we're going after something, a cistern, yucky, stale water, the heavens... Or Paul, they're looking down at us going, ah, Mark, Mark, what are you doing? I'm appalled. I'm astonished. I mean, they're looking down at Tina. And Tina, maybe, you know, temptation's grabbing her. She might be trying to go out. And, and they're going, Tina, no, stop. They're appalled. The heavens are looking down, appalled, astonished. We would even consider it. That we would even consider leaving this relationship with a holy creator, unbelievable God we can't even understand. For what? You're trading me for that? That's the picture we get here in Jeremiah. And that is how deep and committed the love is that God has with us. It's, it's amazing. In Colossians, we read in chapter 1, verse 15, that he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So, when we read Matthew... Chapter 23, 37, when Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who, who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Jeremiah, God, Old Testament, I love you so much. Jesus, God, New Testament, I love you so much. I just want to be a hen and gather you like a chick under to my wings. It's the same God. It's the same love throughout eternity. Now, we currently, right now, as 
body of believers. We are the we are the bride of Christ. The New Testament continually refers to us as the bride of Christ, right? So we are in the betrothal process. We're waiting, patiently waiting for our bridegroom to come. We're in a betrothal process. You know, I'm forgetting more and more lately, okay? But one thing I hope I never, ever, 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 ever forget is when Otto and Kylene were married. And I was standing right there, or sitting right there, and I stood with the wedding march, and I look over here, and the wedding march starts to play, and Kylene pops up into the doorway, and she's, she's holding on to her dad's arm. I think she was a little nervous. And she takes one step in the church and does this. Looks right at Otto. And I watched her as she walked all the way by those windows. Her eyes were locked 100% on Otto as she's walking, getting ready to come meet her groom. And she turns down this aisle, the center, the middle aisle here, and here's what she does not do. She does not stop and get out Facebook and, hey, y'all, getting married. She does not stop and talk to a friend that she hadn't seen for a while. She's looking at Otto. Oh, wait. Hi, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for a while. No. If she did that, we would have been appalled. We would have been, Kylene, what are you doing? No, she stayed focused on her groom the whole way down. And that's what we need to do. We need to stay focused on Jesus every single moment of our life. So why do we then? Why do we then? Why do we get distracted? Why do we give up this fountain of living water for this yucky, stale, stagnant, worthless something we're chasing after? Why do we do it? Well, it just seems like there's something in our DNA that always makes us think that something is bigger and better and brighter over there, right? An example we used this morning is the old game show, Let's Make a Deal, okay? So we all remember this old game show. It's still on TV. And a contestant gets, uh, wins a prize. Well, let's just say it's $1,000. This is just represented by a $10 bill. So, so just say, there's, imagine there's two more zeros on here. But they win, they win $1,000, and then they get to trade it for a curtain, right? And it's up to the contestant, contestant to decide. And some of them do. Some of them say, okay, here's my $1,000. I will go behind. I will pick what's behind that curtain. And it ends up being, my Wah, 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 nothing. What a perfect picture. What a perfect picture of sin. What a perfect picture of sin. We have, we have salvation. We have everything right here. We have this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And something comes along. We think it's better. Maybe it's going to give us more pleasure. Maybe it's going to make us feel better in some way, and what do we do? We make the trade. We make the trade. We say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll make that trade. And that trade always ends up in emptiness. Always. Nothing ever good has come from that. It always leads to emptiness inside. Therefore, G- James, speaking to speaking to. Believers, the half-brother of Jesus, says it like this in James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. We need to stand strong, stated in verse 16 there, and not be deceived. When we're tempted, think back to the let's make a deal analogy. Don't do it. Keep your relationship with Christ intact. Right? Odds are that every one of us right now are going through some sort of temptation. And if not, they will come. And it's just my prayer that we don't make that trade. We don't make it. We don't exchange this wonderful relationship with Christ for that. But here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing. I'm sure it happens every day to a Christian somewhere. Right? Somebody, somewhere, maybe even here in Chatham. Oh, somewhere, somebody, maybe even somebody here in Chatham is close in this temptation process, and they're ready to make that trade. We need to not be deceived because the result of that is horrific. What happens? What happens when people make that trade in sin? What happens? Marriages crumble. Kids fall away from the Lord. Careers are ruined. Nothing good ever happens. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible trade. It's also very clear from these verses that when that happens, we cannot blame God. We cannot blame God. You can't blame God. God is love. God is holy. God is pure. God is true. God is blameless. God is light. In him there is no darkness. So when this happens, folks, in our lives, we cannot blame God. He has nothing to do with it. Right? But in our blood again, in our DNA, I guess, ever since we're children, we feel like we have to blame somebody. Right? And Think back to the garden. After sin occurred and God approaches Adam, what does Adam say? You got me, I did it. No, you got me, I did it. No, he says, the woman, it was her. She made me do it. And then God approaches Eve. What does Eve say? Uh, 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 it was that serpent, the devil. The devil made me do it. You see the blame game. It's all we like to put blame, but one thing is, is certain: we cannot blame God. God does not tempt anyone. Verse fourteen. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire. He is dragged away, carried away, and enticed by his own lust. So, when this happens, when the exchange is made, when we step out of this relationship and we sin, who is to blame? 100% you are for you. 100% I am for me. That is who is to blame when sin occurs. It's our fault. We need to own that fact. We need to own it. But enter excuses. Um, I really want to fit in with that group of kids at school or at work. Um, I've been really stressed out lately. Um, my, my wife and my husband, we seem a little dis- distant lately. Excuses, excuses, blames, blame, blame. The passage is clear. It says when we sin, it is 100% my fault, period. 
When you sin, it's 100% your fault. Period. It's time for us to, to really just reach a level of maturity, to put our, our big boy, our big girl pants on, and to understand and own this fact. Now, look, all day long, I know that each and every day we're bombarded with temptations. Every day. Never gives up. Through TV, through movies, through song, through hanging out with people. Nonstop bombarded with these temptations. Satan will never give up. He won't. All day long, this is what we're going to have to deal with. He won't give up. He wants us to step out of this relationship we have with Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? Every day when you do what Kyleen did as she walked into the church and came down, focus our eyes, keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's build our lives, focus our eyes, always on verse 2 there, that he endured the cross. Jesus endured that cross. I'm so thankful that today we didn't come to church with a lamb and some doves, right? That we had to offer as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus endured the cross for us. He paid the price once and for all. You know, a verse that I really love, I've shared with it with a couple kids lately, is this verse in Hebrews 9.22. Not quite for sure if it's up there or not. I can't remember if I gave it to Chad. Hebrews 9.22 says this, And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins let me read that one more time hebrews 9:22 and according to the law one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness that is no there's no wiggle room in that verse that is called an absolute of scripture without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin Period. And that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. The Son of God came down and shed his blood for forgiveness. There is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. Our bridegroom indeed came and did die for his bride. And then he sat down, done, completed, once and for all, at the right hand of God. But keeping our eyes on Jesus... It also refers back to verse 1. Let's not overlook verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Be done with it. Get back to focusing on Christ. You know, a couple years ago, well, many years ago now, actually, some couples in the church studied a book called The Five Love Languages. Some of you probably did that. Where we studied, I looked at Tina, evaluated her, said, how does Tina receive love? Tina looked at me, how does Mark receive love? Then we tried to do a better job giving and receiving love as a couple. Wonderful book. Wonderful book. What is God's love language? How do we 
show God in this being his bride, patrol the process, how do we show him love? I say it's obedience. God's love language is obedience. Obedience to him. Obedience to his word. Obedience with our lives. Right? Sin is rebellion. God's love language is obedience. You know, a British pastor once said, if we only spent more of our time looking at Christ, we would soon forget ourselves. And that's the key. Dying to self, getting rid of our pride, keeping our eyes focused on Christ. And then what do we do? Final passage we'll look at today. What do we do? 1 John 2, 1 through 2 lays this out so perfectly. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John reviews through the Holy Spirit the fact that Christ is our advocate. Thank you, Jesus, for that. He will go before the Father and he will plead our case and we will enter into his joy with him. That also is an absolute of Scripture. But starting in verse 3, when I read that, let's go ahead, go ahead and chat to verse, uh, verse 3. Do you have verse 3? Okay. Um, starting in verse 3, let me reread that because this is what really caught my attention about this bridegroom relationship. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And by this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. And that's what we should all want, right? That's what I want more than anything. By this we know that we've come to know him. I want to know him. Don't you? I want to know him. I want to know my bridegroom. I want to know the one that I'm focused on as I'm walking towards him. I want to know the one that's coming back for me at the end of the age and I'm his bride. I want to get to know him. I don't want to sin. Write these things so you don't sin. Lay it aside. I want to get to know Christ. Right? That's what we should all want. And how do we get to know him? In this verse... Please go back and read it later. It's the one right after this, verse 3, 1 John 2, 3. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. There's no other, there's no other way you can read that besides this love relationship, obedience. Is I've got to keep his commandments. I've got to keep his commandments. And therefore, where are his commandments? In the word. I've got to go into the Bible every day and read about Jesus' commandments for me. Read about this love relationship he has with me. That's how we show him love, with obedience. We don't, we really, really don't want to come to church and leave the building and just live our life the way we want to live it. We don't want to do that. That is not obedience. We want to live the way God wants us to live and think about things he wants us to think about. We don't want to be called liars. 
That was verse 4 that wasn't up there, and I apologize for that. Those you do not keep as the commandments are liars. <laughs> That's harsh. So, I hope that encourages us to get into the Word. You know, heard recently somebody say, don't know quite where it was, but he said, a man or a woman with a Bible on his shelf at home is no better off than a man or a woman who doesn't even own a Bible. Dusty Bibles lead to dusty lives. I also read that somewhere recently. I thought that was kind of cool. Does your Bible spend more time on its shelf at home? Come on, be honest. Does your Bible spend more time on a shelf at home collecting dust? Or is it in your hand? Are you reading? Are you building? Are you showing love to the Lord through obedience? I hope today by just looking at, first of all, how does God view our relationship with him? He says we're married. He says we're betrothed. I hope by looking at scripture we realize and appreciate that and are blown away by that. And secondly, I hope we see that when we, when there's something going on in that relationship and we're stepping outside but it's never God, he's not tempting us, it's us. We have to own it. It's us. God's love remains constant. It will never change. He will never stop loving you. If a divorce happens, it's not because of God. We have to own it's because of us. How do we get back in? How do we get back in? We focus our eyes on Jesus, 100% on Jesus, on the cross. But that's not it. We don't end there. We're changed by that, right? We're changed by that. We want to get to know him better. And we dig into the word and we do that. We started off today with a psalm from David, looking at a psalm that David wrote a thousand years before Christ, and he wrote about God's faithfulness. A thousand years later, the cross happens. God shows his faithfulness to us. Two thousand years later here in Chatham, God is still 100% faithful every day, all day, every day. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Forgiveness is available in his blood for all who humble themselves and repent and put their faith in that finished walk. And then let's all just leave here today and do what Jesus said so many times at the end of his teachings. What did he say? Go and sin no more. So let's resist temptation that leads to sin, that leads to separation. Let's focus on our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's our bridegroom. Let's stay focused on him. And let's stand and sing this morning.